Hello, everyone. You're listening to Campfire Creatures. I'm your host, Greg. Today, before we get started, I got a trivia question. We'll be listening to episode 11, Apex of Shadows, part two. So I've got a trivia question about the Yeti. So the question is, what year did Sir Edmund Hillary, purportedly the first confirmed climber of Mount Everest, lead an expedition to find the Yeti? So what year did Sir Edmund Hillary lead the expedition to find that Yeti? If you can give me the right answer and send it to campfirecreatures at gmail.com, I'll shoot over some swag to you. So first person to shoot me the right answer, I'm going to send you some cool swag. Before we get started, just want to say thank you to all the listeners. And please, if you like what I'm doing here, you like the shows, don't forget to click subscribe and give a like. It means a ton and I'd really appreciate it. Thank you for that. So sit back, relax, do whatever it is you're doing and enjoy the show. Chapter 6 Blood Upon the Snow The dawn broke with an uneasy silence over the Himalayan village, a stillness that seemed to foreshadow something dire. The horizon bled with hues of crimson and gold, the beauty of it stark against the cold dread that had settled in the pit of Calder's stomach. It was Tessering who found the carnage. His scream cut through the thin air of the early morning shattering the calm as effectively as a rock through ice. Calder, roused from the scant rest that had followed his watch, arrived at the edge of the village to a scene of abject horror. The livestock pen had become an abattoir, the earth churned to mud and gore. Sheep and goats lay eviscerated, their lifeblood staining the snow in grotesque patterns of red and pink. It was as if the very mountain had vomited forth a nightmare into the midst of the village. A cold rage bubbled within Calder, mixing with a soldier's grim determination. These were not merely animals. They were the lifeblood of the village, the difference between survival and a slow death in the unforgiving grip of winter. The beast had not just taken life. It had declared war. The villagers gathered, a clutch of frightened souls wrapped in their shawls and blankets, their faces pale as the snow that cradled their dead livestock. Their eyes turned to Calder, pleading desperate. Words were not needed. The imperative was clear. He must hunt the beast. Nora stood beside him, her face a mask of stoic resolve. She had seen too much death to be shocked by the blood but even she could not hide the tremor in her hands. Tessering, pale and wide-eyed, looked on the verge of collapse, but there was a fire there too, a burning need for retribution. The village elder, a stooped figure wrapped in a tapestry of woven wool, stepped forward. His voice, when he spoke, was a rasp of age and smoke. The mountain has never taken so boldly before, You must send it a message, you and Calder. It must know that it does not feed here without consequence. Calder nodded, 
the weight of expectation settling on his shoulders like a yoke. He felt the old, familiar stirrings, the martial instincts that had served him in the blood-soaked trenches of Europe. But this was a different war, one fought against an enemy as ancient as the earth itself. The day was spent in preparation, the air filled with the sounds of sharpening blades and the murmur of prayers. Calder checked his rifle, the weapon and extension of his will, cold and unyielding. Tessering shadowed him, the young man's earlier fervor now tempered by the grim reality of their task. As night approached, a hush fell over the village. The mountains seemed to lean closer, a ring of silent watchers, as the flames of the villagers' torches flickered like the last heartbeat of hope. Calder, Nora, and Tessering took their positions, the darkness around them heavy with threat. Hours passed, the cold deepening, seeping into their bones. And then, without warning, the silence was broken by a sound more terrifying than any scream. A low, guttural growl that seemed to come from everywhere and nowhere. Panic gripped the villagers, their earlier resolve crumbling in the face of an unseen terror. Calder stood firm, his rifle raised, his eyes scanning the darkness. Beside him, Nora clutched a sharpened stake, her figure taut with anticipation. Tessering held a torch aloft, his hands shaking, but his voice steady as he began to chant a song of defiance in the face of encroaching death. The night would be long, and the blood upon the snow was a promise of the violence to come. But as the first shadows moved at the edge of the darkness, Calder felt a grim smile touch his lips. beast would learn that this village was not prey. It was a battleground. Chapter 7. Into the Abyss. As the sun's weak rays crested the serrated peaks of the Himalayas, the air in the village seemed charged with a tangible foreboding. The sky, a bruised tapestry of purple and gray, watched indifferently as Calder, Nora, and Tessering prepared for the ascent. They carried with them not just the physical weight of ropes, pickaxes, and supplies, but the psychological burden of what awaited above. Tessering, the youngest among them, had eyes wide with a mix of dread and determination. The villagers, their faces etched with a blend of hope and resignation, offered muted farewells. The elder's hand on Calder's shoulder was feather light, yet it bore the heaviness of a silent benediction. The mountain loomed over them, a colossus of rock and ice, its slopes telling of eons past when the earth had writhed and heaved to birth these jagged spires. The trails, dusted with fresh snow, wound upwards like the scars of some great, unfathomable beast. As they climbed, the village receded into the distance, a collection of fragile shelters against the vastness of nature. Nora moved with a silent grace, her gaze seldom leaving the heights they sought. Her history with the mountain was a map of sorrow. Each step was a reminder of the child she had lost to its ceaseless hunger. Calder's mind, too, wandered as his body navigated the treacherous path. 
He recalled the tales the elder had shared by firelight, stories of the mountain's dark appetite, of creatures that dwelt in its high, lonely places, of spirits that feasted on the unwary. It was said that the mountain did not merely take lives. It consumed souls, leaving behind only the hollow shells of its victims. Tessering spoke little, his usual exuberance dulled by the gravity of their quest. His steps, though sure, betrayed an undercurrent of fear. The mountain was more than a challenge to him. It was a proving ground, the place where legends were confronted and heroes were forged or forgotten. The higher they climbed, the more oppressive the silence grew. Even the wind seemed to hold its breath, and the sound of their passage, a crunch of boots, a scrape of metal on rock was swallowed by the immensity of the landscape. Late afternoon found them at the edge of a gorge, a gaping maw in the mountain's side that promised only darkness and peril. It was here that they would make camp, a precarious refuge on the precipice of the unknown. As they settled, the wind began to howl, a mournful dirge that spoke of the abyss they were to enter. Night fell like a shroud, and with it came the cold, an insidious chill that seemed to claw at their flesh, seeping into their bones. They huddled close, their fire a fragile sentinel against the encroaching freeze. Above them, the stars were blotted out by a writhing mass of clouds, as if the mountain sought to cloak its secrets in the obscurity of night. Their journey had brought them to the threshold of legend, to the very edge of fear. Tomorrow, they would delve into the gorge, into the mouth of the mountain itself, and there, in the deep, hidden from the light of sun and stars, they would confront the beast or find themselves lost in the mountain's shadow, another chapter in its long and terrible history. Chapter 8 The Gorge of Shadows The light of the new day did not reach the depths of the gorge where Calder, Nora, and Tessering made their precarious descent. The gorge was a scar in the world, a jagged wound cut deep into the mountain's heart where the sunlight faltered and the shadows gathered with an almost palpable intent. Their ropes were set against the constant whisper of cascading stones, the mountain seeming to shift restlessly beneath their weight. Tessering, descending behind Nora, watched her with an almost reverent focus, recognizing the silent strength that had carried her through grief and into this abyss. Calder led the way, his movements measured and precise. Each placement of his boot, each grip of his hand, was a study in deliberate action. He was no longer the haunted veteran seeking solitude, but the embodiment of a force as relentless and intractable as the mountain itself. The air grew colder as they descended, the breath of the gorge a freezing caress against their faces. Ice clung to the walls, ancient and thick, whispering tales of a deep, endless winter. The gorge seemed to breathe around them, its exhalations of frigid draft that made their lantern flames dance in wild, erratic patterns. Halfway down, nestled in a crook of the gorge's arm, they found the cave. It was an ominous opening, a mouth agape, and the markings around it suggested it was no ordinary recess in the rock. The cave paintings, faded yet still vibrant with menacing depictions, told of a dark history. 
Twisted figures with elongated limbs and oversized eyes danced upon the stone, locked in a perpetual hunt. A chill that had nothing to do with the cold touched each of them as they gazed upon the ancient artwork. Nora traced the outlines with a hesitant finger, whispering words in a language not her own. Her eyes, when they met Calder's, were pools of knowing. These are old signs, she murmured, older than any spirit the villagers pray to. They pressed on, their lanterns throwing a feeble glow against the darkness that seemed to swallow all light, all warmth. The cave's interior was a labyrinth, passages forking and weaving into the heart of the mountain. The air was thick with the scent of musk and decay, a pungent reminder that they were not the only living things to tread these stones. As night claimed the world above, they made a camp in the cave's mouth, the darkness at their backs, an unspoken menace. They spoke little, conserving both their energy and their words, each lost in their own contemplations of what lay ahead. It was during the first watch that the encounter came. A sound a skittering of stone, a rasp of breath echoed in the chamber. Calder was on his feet in an instant, rifle in hand, his body tensed for conflict. Beside him, Nora stood with a blade gleaming dully in the lantern light, her stance that of a warrior. The attack, when it came, was a flurry of shadows, a whirlwind of movement that was almost too swift to follow. Calder's rifle cracked, the sound deafening in the confined space. But their assailant was retreating, a mere flicker of darkness that retreated into the bowels of the mountain. They were left with a silence that was no silence, a pressure on their ears, as if the cave itself held its breath. Blood, dark and thick, stained the ground where the creature had been a sign that the hunt had truly begun. The gorge of shadows had opened its heart to them, and in that heart lurked a terror that was as ancient as the mountain itself. Tomorrow they would delve deeper into the belly of the beast, where the true face of the nightmare awaited. Chapter 9 The Beast's Breath The relentless gale outside had sealed the entrance to the cave with snow, transforming the gorge into a white sepulchre. Inside, the air was still, heavy with anticipation and the iron tang of spilled blood. Calder's hand ached from the rifle's recoil, and his eyes strained against the dark, searching for any hint of movement but the creature had vanished into the shadowy sinews of the mountain. In the after-clash silence, Tessering murmured a prayer, his voice a low counterpoint to the mountain's oppressive silence. He looked at Calder, his eyes wide with the primal fear of a young man who had come face to face with the dark folklore of his people made flesh. Nora's blade, slick with the creature's viscous blood, glinted as she cleaned it methodically, her motions betraying no tremor. It knows we are here, she stated, her voice resolute, almost challenging the dark to respond. The storm's howl was a distant, muffled roar, as if the mountain itself sought to smother the fury of the elements. Trapped and isolated, Calder felt the creature's presence lurking in every crevice, every shadow a potential hiding place from where it could spring. They were cut off, forced to push forward or perish. That night, no one slept. 
Their camp was a fragile bubble of light in a sea of oppressive darkness. The cold was a relentless enemy, creeping into their bones despite their efforts to ward it off with fire and movement. Nora kept watch while the men attempted to rest, her gaze seldom leaving the opaque blackness beyond their circle of light. With the dawn, what little relief the light should have brought was suffocated by the blizzard's remnant fury. The decision to venture deeper was unspoken, a grim acknowledgement that their path lay forward into the mountain's bowels. As they progressed, the cave's passageways narrowed and the walls pressed close, slick with ice and the passage of unseen creatures. The air grew thick, the darkness complete, forcing them to rely on their remaining lanterns, whose flames flickered with every indrawn breath. It was Tessering who stumbled upon the first of the relics, a bone notched and weathered, half buried in the cave floor. It was thick and heavy, undeniably human. A tattered remnant of clothing clung to it, the fabric alien in the subterranean chill. More remnants appeared as they advanced, a trail of sorrow laid bare in the frozen ground. Calder's eyes were drawn to a child's shoe, its leather preserved by the cold, a silent testament to the Yeti's predatory nature. Their discoveries culminated in a chamber, vast and hollow, the air within it curiously warmer than the tunnels they had traversed. The walls glistened with condensation, and in the center of the space, they found the evidence they had feared a tableau of habitation. Bones were piled with morbid care, scraps of human life strewn amongst them. The remnants of fires long dead spoke of warmth and life, a macabre mimicry of human settlement. There, they understood the Yeti's breath in its terrifying dualism, not just the cold that had hunted them, but the warmth of a beast that had learned, perhaps from the humans it had preyed upon, to create its own grotesque semblance of a home. They stood on the threshold of understanding, their minds recoiling from the implications. The Yeti, this thing of legend and nightmare, was not just a mindless predator. It was a creature of intelligence and purpose, and it had brought them into its lair for reasons only it could fathom. Fear took on a new flavor in that chamber, one tinged with the spice of madness. To think of the Yeti as an animal was one thing. To recognize it as a being with its own dark sentience was quite another. It changed the nature of their quest, transformed it from a hunt to something more akin to a duel, a contest of wills and cunning. With a trembling hand, Tessering lit another lantern, the flame a paltry shield against the dark realization that enveloped them. They were in the heart of the beast's domain, and the air they breathed was a gift from their hunter, allowed on a whim that could change as swiftly as the mountain's weather. The descent into madness had begun, not with a fall, but with a single, haunting breath. Chapter 10 Descent into Madness The mountain's embrace was a stranglehold, its silence as dense as the ancient glaciers that clawed down its flanks. The dim illumination of their lanterns was a feeble protest against the dark, and in that oppressive gloom, the human mind found little purchase against the encroaching insanity. Tessering, the youngest and most fervent among them, had started to unravel, 
the threads of his sanity pulled loose by the grotesque evidence of the Yeti's intelligence. His usual ebullient chatter had dwindled to an incoherent mumble, his eyes darting shadows cast by the uncertain lantern light. They made camp in a small recess, an alcove of ice that offered scant protection from the omnipresent chill. Tessering was set to watch, his once steady hands now trembling, the rifle an unfamiliar weight against his shoulder. As the heavy breaths of his companions settled into the rhythm of sleep, Tessering's whispers to himself became a soliloquy of fear. Each sound from the deepening tunnel was a footstep, each crack of ice a bellow from the beast. His eyes saw movement in every flicker, his mind teetering on the brink of terror. Hours into his watch, a soft sound, imperceptible to a sane ear, brushed against his senses. His eyes strained, his body stiffened, and before he could suppress the urge, he wandered away from the safety of the alcove, drawn by a curiosity that had its roots in a fractured mind. The others awoke to an absence, a hollow spot where tessering should have been. Calder's call into the dark returned to them, twisted and mangled by the labyrinthine passages. With heavy hearts, they followed Tessering's tracks, the signs of his passage erratic, the scrape of boots against rock, and the occasional drop of blood, a breadcrumb trail into the abyss. They found him at the heart of a natural cathedral, a grotto of ice where the air itself seemed frozen in place. Tessering was splayed out, his limbs arranged with an eerie symmetry that echoed the chamber of habitation they had found earlier. His entrails had been unfurled, a macabre red ribbon against the white. His face, forever etched with the horror of his final moments, stared sightlessly at the ceiling. The display was a message, written in the viscera and blood a warning and a challenge. It was artistry of a dark and ancient kind, the kind that whispered of rituals and sacrifices far removed from the understanding of civilized man. Nora's face was a mask of stoic horror, the grim set of her jaw belying the trembling that had taken hold of her hands. Calder felt the icy fingers of fear clutch at his heart, but he steeled himself against it, recognizing the necessity of control in the face of such brutality. We cannot let this place become our tomb, he whispered, his voice a gravestone rub. The decision was made with a nod, the silent agreement that they would not fall to the madness that had claimed Tessering. They set out once more, the path ahead uncertain, their resolve a tattered flag in the face of the mountain's onslaught. The creature, their unseen foe, was always a step ahead, its breath a constant presence at their backs, a reminder of the line between hunter and hunted, a line that had become perilously thin. The cave system seemed to react to their passage, the ice weeping as if in mourning, the walls closing in with a palpable intent. Every sense was heightened to a razor's edge, every shadow a potential death sentence. The boundary of their sanity was frayed, each step forward a descent into the uncharted territories of the human psyche. In the heart of the mountain, beneath the endless night of ice, the line between the real and the unreal blurred. 
and the beast's breath was a symphony in the madness that had become their world. Chapter 11 The Heart of Winter The endless gale outside was nothing compared to the storm that raged within Calder. As he led Nora and what remained of their party deeper into the mountain's frozen guts, the echoes of their fallen companions seemed to hound them. The scent of iron and death clung to their nostrils, a stark reminder of Tessering's horrific fate. Their path twisted and turned, a serpentine route chosen not by will but necessity, the mountain's geography a maze with no clear egress. Then it happened an abrupt opening in the ice, a cavernous space where the darkness seemed to pool and thicken. And there it was, the Yeti, a hulking aberration whose eyes glimmered with a cruel intelligence. Its breath, a visible specter in the cold air, was as ragged and harsh as the blizzard that sought to claim the peaks above. Calder felt the tug at his soul, a resonance of conflict he knew too well. The ex-soldier in him awoke, that primal part that had been honed in the trenches and fields of war. Nora, her own countenance a visage of determination, stayed close, a silent sentinel prepared for what was to come. The encounter was inevitable, a convergence of fates bound by blood and snow. Calder stepped forward, his movements deliberate, every muscle and sinew coiled tight. The Yeti mirrored him, its massive frame a grotesque parody of a man, but its eyes held the gleam of comprehension an unsettling knowledge that it was more than beast. The air between them crackled with the electric charge of impending brutality. It was a dance of death, a duel where grace was forsaken for savagery. The Yeti lunged, a blur of fur and muscle, its roar a deafening blast in the enclosed space. Calder met the onslaught with a ferocity that matched his opponent. He felt claws rake across his flesh, the sting of them a bright lance of pain. Yet he pressed on, the hunter's knife in his hand, a flash of silver in the dim light. Every stab and slice was a communion with his most basal self, a return to the man who had survived the unspeakable by becoming a monster himself. Their battle was a cacophony of grunts and roars, the slap of flesh and the shattering of ice. Blood, both red and a startling luminescent blue, splattered the pristine whiteness, a testament to the violence enacted. It was in one such exchange, a moment of chaos and blood, that Nora's cry pierced the fray. Calder's head snapped around to see her grappling with the creature, her body pinned beneath its mass. The blade that she drove into the Yeti's side was an act of desperation, a gambit that cost her dearly. With a wrenching twist, the Yeti inflicted a wound that opened her from shoulder to waist, a ruinous injury that painted the ice in a grotesque bloom. In the end, it was a battle that could not be won by force alone. Calder, with a roar that tore the very air, channeled the pain of his wounds, the loss of his comrades, into a final, defining act. He drove the knife deep finding the beast's heart and collapsing alongside the creature as its life ebbed away. The silence that followed was a hollow thing. Nora lay motionless, 
her life slipping away as the cold sought to claim them all. Calder, his breaths ragged and wet, crawled to her side. He spoke no words of comfort, there were none to give. The Yeti lay still, its eyes now empty of the malice that had once lived within them. In the aftermath, Calder's victory was as cold and barren as the landscape that surrounded them. He had slain the monster, but at what cost? Nora's shallow breaths were a countdown, a ticking clock to an end he could not prevent. And as the echo of the Yeti's death throws faded into the mountain's memory, Calder understood the true horror was not the beast itself, but what it had drawn out from within him, a reflection of the darkness that resided in the heart of every man. The End Thanks for listening to Campfire Creatures. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support and grow our channel, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. To stay up to date with Campfire Creatures and get more content, check out campfirecreatures.com. And remember, keep the fire lit.